Kings chapter 17, so go ahead and flip your way over there, and we will begin. Uh, tonight's message, I actually have a title for it. I don't, I don't usually have titles for messages, but uh, as I was praying about it, uh, the Lord kind of laid it on me. At first, it was faith, trust, and fear, but then as I was really kind of diving into the text and just pouring over it and praying over it, the Lord said, nah, it's not right. That's not, that's not what I want you to call this. And so he really led me to faith, obedience, and contentment. Now, any one of those topics on their own is a pretty weighty and meaty subject. And so we're going to have like a little triad of meat. It's like, you know, surf, turf, and foul. So, um, you know, faith, faith in the Lord. We always, you know, that's the beginning of all things. It's faith in the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, faith does lead to obedience. Um, obedience in the Lord's leading. And then here's the tricky one, though. This is the hard one because you can have faith and you can have obedience, but that doesn't guarantee contentment. And so we're going to be talking about contentment tonight as well. And it's contentment in the Lord's provision and the things that he has blessed us with. So uh, we're going to be starting with um, chapter 17. It's Elijah, the prophet, and he is confronting Ahab who is the king of Israel. A little background for those of you who are not familiar with this story. Uh, basically, you had, you know, Israel was uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then after uh, King Solomon died, the, the kingdom was split. You have the southern kingdom, Judah, part of Benjamin, and then all the people who were faithful to the Lord. And then the northern kingdom was Israel. Uh, they began, you know, worshiping the golden calves and things like that up in Dan, Jason's probably seeing that right now. Um, the city of Dan is intact in Israel, and so you can actually go there and see it. You can see the place where the golden calf was. Um, so that's kind of going on. And the thing, you know, between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom had some good kings, some bad kings. They kind of had, you know, they kind of hit and miss. Uh, the northern kingdom had no good kings. Everybody did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, every single one of them. And uh, tonight, King Ahab was of no exception. He was probably one of the worst if not the worst. Uh, he wa his, uh, his wife is probably more famous than he is, Jezebel. And, you know, to get just a, just to get a real feel for who he was, uh, he saw a guy who he liked his land. He wanted to have a pretty garden. And he said, Give me your, sell me your land. And the guy said, no, it's my inheritance. And he said, ooh, and he had this temper tantrum. And his wife said, what's wrong with you? And he goes, he won't sell me my land. And then she says, oh, I'll take care of that. And she goes and kills the guy. And then they steal the land. And Ahab is happy, gets his garden. Uh, Jezebel is happy because her husband's not whining and complaining to her anymore. And the family, that guy's dead, and his family loses their inheritance. So that's kind of gives you just a, a quick portrait of this Ahab. And when we enter into this portion of what uh, Elijah is going to be doing, it kind of gives like, wow, you know, that took some gusto to go and speak to this king. And so why don't we go ahead, we're going to read verses 1 through 16, and uh, then we'll dive right in. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. 
For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him his bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to the Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As your Lord as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So now... Let's take a moment and go back to chapter 17, verse 1. Because, you know, it happens in just one little verse. But we really have to take a moment and really understand the gravity of what he did. He says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, remember who Ahab is, right? This guy who murdered a guy, his wife murdered a guy for a garden. Okay, he said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, to get kind of a, an idea of what this um, assignment was, it would be like all, all of a sudden you're reading your Bible and the Lord says to you, Hey, arise, go to the Oval Office. I want you to tell the president that because of his sin and because of our country's sin, that there is not going to be any dew or rain across the entire United States because of the punishment of the Lord until you say that it's going to rain again. Now, how many of you guys would feel comfortable with that assignment? <laughs> right, you'd be shaking in your boots. I mean, it's like, you know, in, in your mind, you know, maybe you're a Republican, maybe you're a Democrat, you're like, oh, I'd, I'd say that, no problem. And then it's like, you know, you, when you actually, like, purchase the tickets, you'd be like, mm, maybe not. And then maybe you had enough gusto to buy the tickets, and then you, you get on the plane, and as the door of the plane is closing, you're like, feels like a coffin closing on me, right? And then you get there, and it's like, am I really, how am I going to even get in? How do I get into the Oval Office? I don't, do I go on a tour? And then maybe the president's there, and I, like, jump out in the middle of the tour. Hey, by the way! Right? I mean, this is, this is a scary thing. This is a scary thing. But here's the thing. Do not fear. Do not fear what the Lord has commanded of you. Right? Fear is the faith killer. Right? We cannot please God except by faith, and fear is the killer of that faith. Right? If the Lord calls you, if the word of the Lord comes to you and speaks to you and says, you need to go 
and you need to speak to the president, then guys, do not fear. Get up and go. You need to get up and go. Now, it's easy to obey the Lord when there are no consequences, isn't it? Right? When we're, when we're abounding and everything is going just wonderful, as Joey says, you know, like, I never have a bad day, which is not true, but I do have a lot to be joyful for. Right? But when everything is going great, it's easy to say, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do my devotions every single morning, I'm going to pray, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to even share the Lord with a stranger today. Right? It's easy when there's no consequences involved, but when obedience to the Lord has a cost attached to it, then it gets a little bit harder. Now, I can speak this from personal uh, testimony. Um, some of you know, some of you know my testimony, uh, how Heidi and I ended up here, how I became a pastor and all that. Uh, it, it is fitting to kind of share with you guys in this setting. Uh, I had come to salvation in uh, 1999. The Lord uh, spoke to me. I was actually trying to disprove my uh, wife's faith in Jesus. I was trying to break her of it. Uh, I, I didn't want her to be a Christian because I was jealous of Jesus, and so I was literally systematically trying to destroy her faith. And I got the bright idea, if I read the Bible, I'll be able to uh, prove all of it wrong, and then I'll finally be able to shatter her faith. So I'm reading the Bible, and you know, Genesis, Exodus, and I just kept saying, oops, oops. And I noticed that the, the errors that I assumed were there weren't there. And you know, and I, I'm, I'm looking into it, I'm trying to disprove it, and I got about halfway through um, Leviticus when the Lord finally got me. And so it did, you know, and then from that point on, like, you know, I was like, it was a great time. You know, I was devouring the word. I was just really going, the Lord had blessed me with a great job. And, you know, I was just, I was growing in the word. It wasn't too long after that, though, that the Lord said to, um, first he spoke it to me, but then he also spoke it to Heidi, that... We were supposed to, to move our family. We were supposed to change churches. Now, this church that you know, we were originally going to was, you know, Heidi was a founding member of it. Her family, all of her family went there. And, you know, here I am saying, oh, the Lord is telling us we've got to go. And not only that, but uh, later uh, the Lord revealed that I was supposed to quit my job and we were supposed to sell our house. And, you know, that's something, you know, there's a cost attached to that. And it was kind of a scary thing. And... Uh, you know, it definitely took, it, it took a, a lot to be able to trust the Lord in that. But you know what? We were absolutely confident. We were absolutely confident that the Lord was calling us to do this. Right? You don't, you don't fly to the Oval Office to rebuke the president unless you are sure the word of the Lord is speaking to you. But if you are sure the word of the Lord is speaking to you, then you have better get up and do it. You have to get up and do it. Our walk as a Christian depends on it. It's like, I mean, come on. It's like you can either have this boring walk where it's just like, yeah, you know, I come to church and, you know, I have this bumper sticker and all that. Like you can have that kind of walk or you can have a walk where it's like, you know, people are getting saved. You're, you're like the Lord is opening doors. You end up in front of a pulpit like this, in front of a group like this. You know, it's like it, when, you, when the Lord opens a door and you walk through it, you never know what's going to happen. But guys, it is so worth it to take those steps of faith, to walk through that and not to fear man or circumstance. Right? Fear is the killer of faith. And we can only please God through faith. 
Verses 2 and 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward. Hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now, this is something that I was kind of musing over because I have no idea. The Bible doesn't really say it. It's kind of silent. But I kind of wonder, it's like, gosh, did Elijah have a wife? Think about it for a second. You know, in the Jewish culture, I mean, you, you weren't really, you didn't have really any kind of authority unless you were married. To be in the Sanhedrin, to be any of those things, you had to be married. And so I, I started thinking, it's like, gosh, you know, was Elijah married? Did he have a house? Probably. When you purpose in your heart to obey the Lord and to walk with the Lord, no matter what, it's going to affect your family. It is absolutely 100% going to affect your, your family. Now, you know, Elijah, he was a prophet. He, you know, he, he, he went to the office, you know, in the morning, came home at evening. You know, he was, you know, prophets are us. And it's a nonprofit corporation, obviously. But, you know, sorry, I know it was bad. That was kind of a John Corson joke, wasn't it? But, um, you know, so it's like he goes to the office. Now, imagine it real quick. I mean, because I was literally, I was kind of laughing over this. But it's like, can you imagine, you know, Elijah coming home and saying, like, honey, I'm home. And she's like, hey, how was your day? He's like, well, I got to prophesy to the king. Oh, great, it's looking up. Maybe they're finally going to give you that corner office. And he's kind of thinking, like, well, I just rebuked him. But, um, honey, do you know where my luggage is? You know, it's like when we are sold out for the Lord, when we choose that we are going to, in faith, obey the Lord as he speaks to us, it's going to affect the people around us. You can't help but it not to do that. Right? When, the, when I gave my heart to the Lord, when I, and I chose that I was going to follow him all the way, and that was something that Heidi knew. She knew if I followed the Lord that I was going to follow him all the way because that's how I do everything. You know, I can't just say, oh, you know, I'll dabble in this and see what this is. Like, no, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if you follow the Lord with all of your heart, if you seek him in all of his ways, then it is going to affect the people around you. We have to count the costs. Because when the Lord said, hey, Brian, you're going to move. You're going to move your family from this church. Well, that affected my wife a lot more. You know, granted, I did get saved in that church, but I'd only been there a couple of years. She'd been there her whole life since she was like nine years old. You know, that's a hard thing. You guys know as well as I do that a church is a family. When you follow the Lord and when, you obey, when you're willing to obey his commands, there comes costs with it. Obedience comes with a cost. Now, Heidi and I, when that choice came before us, and the Lord, he did open the door and he made it abundantly clear that we were to move churches and not only that, but I was going to be quitting my job and uh, we were even going to be selling our house. Well, we put the house, you know, the house is getting ready to go up on the market. Um, I've already given my work. I gave him like four months notice because I wanted to be able to train my replacement and all that. And, and here's the way the devil works too because our general manager got promoted and he's basically like a regional manager now. The new general manager tells him and says, hey, you know, Brian's leaving. And my old general manager, who I knew very well, said, offer him whatever he wants to stay. How often, now, how often does that happen? I mean, literally, my new, G, my new GM has me come into his office, sits me down, and he basically goes, write your check. What do you want? We want you more than we want your replacement. 
And that was like, I was like, uh, it's like in your mind, it's like, click, 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 click. It's like, okay, did I really hear from the Lord? Am I sure? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, those are the things, those are the things that we question. It's like, look at this. this is, you know, and this was a great job, by the way. I mean, I had incredible benefits. I had 401k. I had gain sharing. Every, every uh, year that we went without any kind of accidents, I'd get like a, like a new TV or a barbecue or whatever. All these, all these perks. I enjoyed my uh, coworkers and things like that. I had a great um, relationship with our customers, and I even got to uh, share the gospel with them. Right? It was a really good job, but it's like, no, I knew. And not only that, Heidi knew. Right? Heidi knew. And so I saw, I, he said, is there anything that we can do to keep you? And I remember myself saying it, and it sounded like somebody else said it. You know, like, you know, like, your heart's like pounding. It's like, oh, this is a great opportunity. And like, my ears started like ringing because like, it's like, oh, I can't believe I'm saying no. And there, oh, I just said it. I can't believe I just said it. And I said, no. I said, no. I said, this is what the Lord has for us. And so we went. Now, the four months wasn't up yet, so I'm still training uh, my replacement. And it's right before Christmas. And Heidi gets news that she is being laid off from her job. Now all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, I'm quitting my job, we're selling our house, and Heidi has now been laid off, and guess what, so now we have no insurance whatsoever, we'll have to pay, like, we'll have to pay for Cobra and all that, which is super expensive, and not only that, but then we found out Heidi was pregnant with Trinity. And so now I'm really rethinking, and guys, I'm going to tell you this, I was starting to waver. I really was. I was really like, uh, you know, maybe I didn't, you know, you know, bean burrito I had yesterday. I, you know, maybe it was just, no, it's not. It. And then Heidi's like, no, this is what the Lord showed us. I was like, yeah, that's right. It was what the Lord showed us. And so we continued. And so, but, you know, our obedience to the Lord, our walk of faith will affect the people around us. We need to count the costs. And if you're married, guys, you need to be in unison. You need to be 100% on the same page, right? Seeking the Lord together. Husbands, you need to be washing your wives in the water of the word. You need to be singing spiritual songs and making merry to the Lord in your hearts together, right? If you're single, you need to understand that everything that you do or the people that you're going to meet, the relationships you're going to have, they they need to be on the same page with you because your walk will affect them. And their lack of a walk, if that's the case, will affect you. So now, verses 4 through 6. It says, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. (laughs) So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, Number one, the most important thing, God provided his needs, right? Absolutely, 100%, God provided his needs. God said, go tell that that rat Ahab, go and tell him that a drought is coming. Okay, now run. Get out of here. Sorry, don't worry about the house, just go. Don't worry worry about the lawn, go. Right? So then he goes. And he says, okay, but I'm going to provide for you. He says, okay. And he goes, like, can you, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Elijah's probably like, so, Lord, how are you going to provide for me? 
Ravens. Ravens? Ravens. Ravens. Are you sure? Ravens. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, can you literally imagine this time of prayer for Elijah? It's like, don't worry about it. I got it covered. Ravens. And so there Elijah goes. And, you know, check this out. He went. He went. And he found that little brook. I mean, it's not a house. He's out in the, he's, it's in the wilderness. He's by this little brook like this. And then in the morning, he starts getting pelted by bird food. I mean, it's like, (laughs) I mean, how crazy is this? But you know what? He couldn't rely on anything. It wasn't by his strength. It wasn't by his ability. It was in his trust in the Lord. And that's it. He had faith in the word of the Lord that had come to him. He was obedient to that word. And then there he is. And all he could do was wait. And sure enough, morning, evening, here comes these birds dropping who knows what. I mean, what does a raven bring you? Meat and bread. I don't, you know, maybe they're stealing it from a local market or something. I'm like picturing like locusts and things like that. It's like, Ew. you know, what kind of meat exactly? Does it, does it specify? No. You know, but there he was just sitting there. And then, you know, how long was he there? You know, so often it's so easy for us when we think it's like, hey, you know, we've all heard the phrase, where God guides, God provides, right? But what is he going to provide? How much? For how long? Right? And, and, and then we have this tendency where we can begin to negotiate with God. We can say, oh, Lord, you know what? I'll go to the brook, but I need there to be a house. And a job, right? Because I need to be able to feed my family and things like that. And I need to be able to put gas in my car and things like that. So I'll go to the brook, but there needs to be this first, right? We put stipulations. We begin to negotiate with God on what we'll do. Because, I mean, think about it. How many times has, like, the Lord moved on your heart, like, hey, I want you to go do this. And you're like, well, Lord, you know what, um, I'll go share with that, that, that teller at the grocery store. But first she has to say this. And then I'll say this and this and this. Okay? Right? When we begin to negotiate. You know, if, if you guys have been in ministry or things like that or been a part of a church plan or anything like that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, here we go. The Lord's calling it. We have the vision. We're going to go for it. And, but, you know, Lord, there's got to be this, this, and this. There's, you know, that, that, that's what we need to have. Right? And so we begin to negotiate with the Lord. And the question that the Lord asked me, because, you know, we've been talking a lot. You know, you know, Joey talked about when we went to Indiana and all that. So we've been talking about church planning. We've been talking about all these kind of things. And so the Lord, because it's been fresh in my heart, the Lord asked me, Brian, uh, what will it cost me for you to obey me? How much will it cost for you to obey the Lord when he calls you to do something hard, when there's a cost attached to it? That's a hard question, huh? It made me feel very uncomfortable, quite frankly, when I was studying it. Because I know, I know that the Lord gave his only son to die in my place. That I wouldn't have to go to this place of eternal judgment. And instead, I could be imputed his righteousness and be able to go into heaven, and in heaven, not to be a servant, but to be served. Go figure that one. And yet, 
And yet I find myself, and this is that flesh warring in me, I find myself when the Lord has something for me and he calls me to do something, that I say, oh Lord, let's negotiate this. What exactly do you mean brook? What do you mean ravens? I mean, is it the football team, the ravens? They're going to feed me? No. I had to come to an understanding that I am a slave. And I am part of a kingdom of slaves. And the greatest, and the greatest in our numbers is the servant to all. Now, Jesus is our, is our great model, of course. And as I was uh, looking over this text, I couldn't help but to think of when Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit after his baptism. Right? For 40 days, he was, out, he was out in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, which is basically down by the Dead Sea. And it's really hot down there. And there's nothing. Right? It's dead. I've been there. It's dead. And so there he was. And um, basically he was fasting. The Lord didn't provide any food for him. And the Lord didn't provide any water for him. So now, uh, I don't suggest you do a water fast because uh, that's only supernaturally could you survive. Um, you know, for water, you can fast for about three days, maybe seven, if you're really still and it's not too hot. Right? But, so Jesus was driven out there and he's in the wilderness. And I don't know how many of you have ever fasted before, but when you begin a fast, you're really hungry. And then on the second day, you're even hungrier. And the third day, you get even hungrier. And it just keeps growing, right? After, I'm told, I've never gone this far. Uh, when you get to about a week, the, the cravings and the hunger begins to die off. And then two weeks, three weeks, it goes away. Like, you're not hungry at all. Maybe a little weaker, but you're not hungry. And then all of a sudden, something happens. When you get to around 30-plus days, getting right up into that 40-day range, something happens. Your body is literally starving to death. You are about to die, and your body does one last-ditch effort to get you to eat. This huge hunger rears up inside of you, and you must eat or you will die. Remember what uh, the account of Jesus, and it says, and he hungered. Forty days and forty nights he was in the wilderness without food, without water. And it says, and he hungered. And then, then Satan came to him and said, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, I want you to notice something on this. Jesus needed bread. This was a legitimate need. He needed bread or he was going to die. But I want you to notice something. It was the Lord who sent Jesus out into the wilderness. It was, his, it was the Holy Spirit. It was his Father who willed him to go into that wilderness. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, you know what? The Lord sent me out here and I would rather die than to put my will above God's. He said, I would rather starve to death. Because Jesus was looking to the spiritual. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word from the Lord. Right? Jesus was looking to the spiritual, and he didn't negotiate with God. He didn't say, God, can I please make one? No. The Lord sent him, and he was waiting on the Lord. So th there is our model. Verse 7. 
And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So now check this out. God says, Elijah, go tell Ahab it's not going to rain. Elijah has faith in the Lord. He obeys it. He walks up to this scoundrel and says, there ain't going to be any rain. And then he runs away. And then he has this little provision God providing for him. He has this little brook and the ravens are dropping bird food on his head and things like that. And so there he is and he's drinking up. And guess what? The Lord honored what he said to Ahab. And it doesn't rain. Well, brooks get their water from rain and so the brook dries up. What do you do when God's provision stops? What do you do when God leads you someplace and you know it's the Lord, right? The Lord leads you to some place and then the provision that he gave you, because he told Elijah, you're going to drink from this brook and I'm going to feed you with the ravens. And what happens when the Lord's provision dries up? What do you do? Now, in my personal testimony, there was a day because the Lord did provide for us. You know, when we sold our house, uh, the Lord gave us just a huge increase. It was crazy. And I, we were living on that, basically. We were living on that while I was, uh, the Lord showed me that we were supposed to go to Bible college and I, I was going full time and the whole bit. And so we were doing that. And then all of a sudden one day, I don't know why I had never, like when you're reconciling your bank account and things like that, it's like the Lord put blinders on my eyes. And then all of a sudden one day, I looked at it and I about had a conniption fit. I literally was like freaking out because I, in my mind, right, the negotiation that I had in my mind was that, okay, Lord, I'll sell the house and then from the proceeds of the money, we'll buy our next house. Right? We'll live on a little bit like this, but then there'll be enough that it, it, you know, we'll be able to have a good down payment for our next house and the whole bit. It'll be great. And all of a sudden, one day, I look down, and it's like the thought crossed my mind. The money's running out. It's almost gone. <gasps> and I was like really freaking out. I mean, I was really, I really, it's like I, like I was nearly got an ulcer. I was just totally, totally upset. And I don't know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard before when you're really scared. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's like that whisper. It's the still, small voice of the Lord. And he comes to you. And he speaks to you and he comforts you in your time of uh, tribulation. But I remember that day. And I was so terrified. I was freaking out. And I'm just like going. And I'm, I'm driving. And I remember I was driving down Orange Olive. And as I'm going down there, I'm listening to K-Wave. And there's a Bible study. And it's about um, Abraham. And the Lord said, and it was just that still small voice. And he said, Brian, he said, Brian, he says, I was able to entrust great riches to Abraham. I was able to entrust him with possessions and servants and all these things. And he asked me, why? Why, why could I do that? And I'm like, I don't know, Lord. I don't care, frankly. I just want my money back. <laughs> right? And I was like, and he goes, Brian, I could give him everything because he was always willing to put it back on the altar his possessions did not possess him and he was always willing to put it back on the altar and he wouldn't even withhold his own son and i was like wow and you know it was just like it was just one of those comforting words and he's like he, he was asking me brian let it go lay it down and he reminded me of my devotion that morning, and then when I got to where I was going, I opened up my Bible again, and it's like he was just speaking to me. It was just like a sandwich of blessing. 
you know, two devotions and just like the word of the Lord in the middle. It was awesome. And at that point, at that point, I knew. I knew that the Lord was going to provide. I knew that he was going to sustain us. And my fear melted away. And I was okay. I was good. And, you know, it, it didn't bother me at all. Verse 8, let's look. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So now, I want you guys to notice something here. He didn't go until the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him. The brook, the brook dried up. We read that. And you'd think, hey, God's provision dried up. It's time to go. But he didn't. He didn't. What can we learn from this? Guys, we can't get ahead of the Lord. Right? In the wilderness, you know, when they moved the tabernacle, it's the, the cloud of the Lord, the column of fire and cloud would rise up, and then everybody would pitch their tent, they'd get ready to go, and then they'd walk. And then the, the, the cloud would go ahead of them, and they would follow it, and then the cloud would come down again, and that's when they'd stop. It is so important, and we can get so anxious. It's like, and you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I gotta get a new job, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. You know, I owe people money, I'm gonna get it back right now. You know, but it's like, no, no, no. We have to wait. And that's the hardest thing. That is like one of the hardest things in the Christian walk is waiting. Waiting for the Lord. Having faith in the word that called you. Right? That, that's, it, it's when that time comes that you begin to doubt. It's like, gosh, did I really hear the word of the Lord? I mean, can you imagine? Here's Elijah. He, he goes and he rebukes this murderous king and then he runs for his life and then he's there and he's got nothing to do, no one to talk to and, you know, he's eating bird food and he's just chilling out and then the brook dries up and it's like, whoa, I got to rethink my ministry. I got to seriously rethink this thing because did I really hear from the Lord? Did I really hear from the Lord? Guys, we must wait on the Lord and we must trust in the word which he called. Because if you're double-minded, if it's like, oh, double clutch, like Joey likes to say, Yo, oh, it's like fear kills faith. And then we have to trust. We have to trust in the Lord, in his character. We know his promises, right? That, that he's got good for us and everything works together for good for us. And so we trust in him and we trust for his timing because his timing is always perfect. It's always perfect. And, you know, we can try to bumble around and we can try to force his hand and we can try to do all these things. But in the end, if you just wait, if you just wait, he will provide for your needs. Every need. And again, I can give you perfect testimony on this. Because I was terrified that that money was going to run out. And I will say to you right now, the money ran out. All of the proceeds from the house, my, our nest egg and the whole bit, it was gone. Every last dollar. But, but, the day that the last dollar was accounted for was the first day that I got a paycheck here at Worship Generation. So, guys, 
God's timing is perfect. You must wait on Him. And I guarantee you, I can promise you, I can testify to you that He is good, that His plan for you is good, and you can trust Him, and He will provide for your needs. He will provide for your needs. And it's not through man. It's not men that provide our needs. It's not by the strength of our arms or the, how smart we are. That is not what does it. The Lord has promised to provide for us. He has promised to provide for us. But you know, a question that we have to ask is, what's enough? When he says that he's going to provide for us, what is enough? Because see, that's something that can be altered by our society. You know, if you're living here in Orange County, what we think is the bare minimum, right? This, I can't live without this. If I don't have this much, I can't live. I I just can't do it. I'll die. You take this much and you go to Africa. And they're like, I'm embarrassed. No, 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 you can't give me that much. No, 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 no. Because this much to them is this much. And so a lot of times our culture will dictate to us what we think enough is. That word enough. What does it mean? What does that word mean? Because you need, to, you need to decide in your heart right now what is enough in the Lord. We'll get back to that. Uh, verse 10, check this out. I love this. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. So now you ask me, you know, Brian, how did you know that you know, when the brook dried up, he didn't just leave? Well, you know what? You got a clue right here, verse 10. He was thirsty. He was thirsty. The brook dried up and he didn't leave. He waited. Then the word of the Lord came to him and then he arose and then he went and he met this this widow. And I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he waited, but obviously he's thirsty. The very first thing he sees this lady gathering sticks, he said, hey, can I have a drink of water? A little thirsty here, a little parched. Right? He was thirsty because he waited. And you know what? Do you think he was grateful for that cup of water? Oh, have you ever been like really super thirsty where it's really hot out and really dry out? And you're just like dying of thirst. And then you take a, a, just a big old gulp of a cold glass of water. And you feel it just like, it like it's like almost like electricity in your mouth. And then it like you feel it go down your throat and it, and it like spreads out in your stomach. Have you guys felt that? It's good, huh? And you're just like, oh. And you just, right? You just drink it down. Right? Elijah was grateful. He was grateful at the provision of the Lord, even though it was just a cup of water. Right? It was just a little cup of water, but when he drank it, because he had faith in the Lord, he was obedient to the Lord, and he waited on the Lord, and now he's drinking this cup, the provision of the Lord, and guess what? It tasted good. And he was grateful to the Lord for that provision. And sometimes... The provision doesn't come in the way we think. I mean, obviously, being fed by ravens, you know, who could think? But it's like, can you, can you imagine him? He's sitting down there. And it's like, okay, the ravens are done. They, you know, they've done their job. He walks out, and he's like, really, a widow? Come on, right? And so then, he, you know, he asks her for a drink of water. And then in verse 11, let's keep it going. It says, and she was going to get it. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, 
please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand, right? The Lord said, a widow, I've commanded a widow, just like I've commanded the raven, she's going to provide for you. And so he's kind of testing the waters a little bit. First, give me a drink, I'm thirsty. And then it's like, hey, can you give me a little bite to eat you know, while you're going there? And so she said, as the Lord your God lives. Now, this is a Gentile city, by the way. This is not a Jewish lady. It says, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. You're thinking, whoa. <laughs> Yikes. Guys, when it seems like the Lord has forsaken you, when it seems like the Lord's provision has gone out, I will exhort you, don't despair. This woman was despairing. She had given up on life. She's just like, hey, you know, I've got a little bit of flour left. I've got a little bit of oil. I'm going to go gather some sticks. We're going to cook it. We're going to eat it, and we're going to die. That's what she had to look forward to. That was, that was the, the fullness of her hope. Guys, do not despair. Number one, it doesn't do any good. Right? It doesn't do any good. My grandma, um, my, my mom's dad's wife, she was kind of an agoraphobic kind of a person. And one day, she literally gave up. She just decided, ah, that's it. And you know what? It's like, she not, I don't think, did she ever get out of bed again, Mom? No, she never got out of bed. She just stayed there, and it was the, it was the most horrible thing because she just slowly withered away. You know, her eyes began to sink back into her head, and she just got weaker and weaker and weaker. And it's like, she was a vivacious lady. It's like, she had, and she was fine. That was the thing. She was fine. But she gave in to despair. She gave up hope, and she died. In her own mind, she killed herself. And then, plus, not, not only does it do you no good, but always, you know, there's always somebody who's a little bit worse off than you. So here's this lady. She's got a house. She's got her son. She has a bin of flour and a little bit of oil. Right? And so she's like, oh, woe is me. I'm dying. I'm going to die. I'm going to eat my little piece of bread and die. Right? So there she is. She's despairing. And in comes this prophet, this Elijah cat, right? And he's like, dude, lady, you think you got problems? And you think you got problems? Dude, I've been out sitting, you know, drinking out of this riverbed that dried up and I'm getting pelted by bird food. You think you got problems? Come on. Right? Don't despair in the Lord. Don't allow yourself to give over to fear because that kills faith. And without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. You can't do it. And then here's the thing too. Ask this question. What if she refused? What if she was so despairing, we're just going to go and we're just going to die, forget it, it's over. And he says, hey, give me a morsel of bread. No. No, I won't do it. The miracle that we read about would have passed her by. The, the provision of the Lord would have come through another. Right? So even in your worst circumstances, guys, don't be despairing. Be generous. Because you never know, one generous deed may be the key to your blessing. It may be the thing that unlocks the storehouses of God's blessing because God said, I have commanded this widow to provide for you. And there is a widow in that town and she will provide for you. Are you that widow? Right? 
don't be despairing because the word of the Lord is coming. The timing of the Lord is perfect and it will come and he will provide your needs. You do not have to fear. You can trust him. You can trust him. And then finally, I'm going to reiterate this one. Be thankful in the provision the Lord gives you. Now, look at this real quick. God's provision was flour and oil. The bin that the flour was in didn't run out, and the little jar of oil didn't dry up. So God's promise, God's life to this prophet, and now also to this widow, was flour and oil. Now, this isn't Starbucks and takeout. This isn't like, ooh, I'm high on the hog and I'm eating with the Lord. Yeah. It's flour and oil. Now, guys, I, I have to, I, I wasn't completely, like, tracking with this one. I wasn't really getting it. So this morning, after, you know, I had, you know, preparing the message and things like that, just pouring over the verses and praying and all that kind of stuff, it's like, I wonder what flour and oil tastes like. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. So I, I went downstairs, and I pulled out the extra virgin olive oil, E-V-O-O, right? And I got some flour, and I put it in a bowl, and I poured some oil in there, and I mixed it up, and I made it look like a nice dough. It's like, eh, ah, sweet. So I kind of patted it, made like a little cake, right? And I, I turned on the, my frying skillet, and I dropped it in there, a little sizzle, sizzle, and flipped it over, got real dry and brittle, and, you know, took it, put it on my plate, and I started eating this thing. Yeah. It was pretty plain. <laughs> Flour is not the most flavorful thing in the world. And neither is oil. Together, <laughs> you got flour and oil. That's all I can say. And then, so I, I eat this. And it's like, hmm, but you know, here's the interesting thing. Because I hadn't eaten breakfast that morning. I was up, you know, praying and preparing the, the message tonight. And I, so I was kind of fasting. Not, you know, not intentionally, but I was fasting. I hadn't eaten anything. And so it comes lunchtime, and I'm eating this, uh, this flour and this oil, and something happened that I noticed almost immediately. The edge of my hunger was taken off. I wasn't so hungry anymore. And now, guys, the, flat, the cake that I made was about that big. It wasn't a big thing. It was less than a, it was like a 75-cent pancake. It was like not a dollar pancake. It was like a little one, right? And it was about that thin. And I'm eating this thing, and it's like kind of chalky, you know. Good vintage. But I'm eating this thing, and it's like my hunger went away. I was kind of tripping out on that. I'm like, huh, well, that's interesting. Check that out. I'm not really that hungry anymore. I didn't even eat very much, just a little bit. It's hard to eat that much. I had to have like a gallon of water to get it down. You know, but it's like, <laughs> but I wasn't hungry. I wasn't hungry anymore. And so I'm kind of like, hmm, wow. And so I'm just kind of like, Thinking on that, it's like, okay, go take a shower, get ready, come back out. And it's like, as, as I was getting ready, you know, brushing my teeth and all that kind of stuff, it's like, you know what, I want to take two on that. I, I don't think I've really, like, got it. So I went down, and, and uh, Jan starts laughing at me. Because <laughs> she goes, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, I get some more, and this time I took, like, a bigger scoop of flour, and I took some more oil, and I made a bigger ball. And I made, like, a bigger cake. And I, like, put this thing in there, and fried up. This time I didn't cook it as much. I used a little bit more oil than I did the first time. And 
uh, brought it out, started eating. It was better this time. It wasn't quite so dry, but it was still interesting. And so I'm eating it, and, and she and I are talking as I'm eating it, and all of a sudden, something struck me. Something struck me. Hey, I bet this tasted kind of like what the manna tasted like. Because when they talked about the manna, remember? Bread from heaven, you know, feeding the Israelites you know, for 40 years. And it said it was like, you know, like flour and oil, kind of like maybe a little touch of honey in it. But like that was the flavor. And it's like, wow. And also it's like bread of heaven. Wait a second. Isaiah 53. Jesus had no form or comeliness. No beauty that we should desire him. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. And now think about this for a second. How did Jesus come? As a man of no reputation. Right? He had no form or comeliness. There was nothing beautiful about him externally that made his desire like, mmm. Right? If I tell you, hey, flour and oil, uh, there's nothing that's going to say, mmm. Let's go have some. But as I was eating this flour and this oil, this little cake that the Lord had provided for Elijah and this widow with, I couldn't help but to think, God's provision points to Jesus. This miracle that he did with this flour and this oil sustained them. They hungered no more. Right? There was no more hunger. They were satisfied, and it wasn't fancy, it wasn't flashy, it wasn't takeout food, and it wasn't Starbucks. But it was enough. It was enough. And it pointed to the Savior because Jesus was like that bread. Jesus was like the manna. Right? There was nothing flashy. There was nothing like, woo, look at me. But he was lowly. He was humble. And so, as I was eating, I was just like, that's it. That's it. And guys, I want to promise you this. Everything else can be taken away from you. Everything else can be taken away from you. When you negotiate with God and you say, this far and no further, Lord, that's it, I'll do it. But mm, all that, boom, can be taken away. Every bit of it. The sale of your house, the money that you have, it can all go. People can take it from you. Thief and rust will take it from you. Time will take it from you. But guys, no one can take the Lord Jesus Christ from you. Are you satisfied in Him? Is He the fulfillment of your needs? Does He satisfy you? Because in the end, everything can be taken away. Your wife, your children, your job, your security, your house, your car, everything, even your life, but not life, not death, not time, not Satan or all of his devils can take Jesus away from you. So I have to ask you guys tonight, and it's the same question that I've been wrestling with this morning, how much is enough? Is Jesus enough? Is this flour and this oil, the bread of heaven, God's provision, is he enough? Is he enough for you? Will you trust in him? Will you walk with him, obey him? Because in this life, in this life, and I'll say it, in ministry and in your life, there are no guarantees except for one thing. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Let me say that again. In this life, nothing is certain except for one thing. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. So, Jesus supplies our every need. Jesus is our every need. And let me ask you this. Do you need less than you have? Does what you have more than what you actually need? The answer is yes, isn't it? Every single one of us can answer that yes. And if you have more than you need, then guess what? You're abounding. You're abounding in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. You're abounding in this world. You have so much. I have so much. And it's like, you know, it shouldn't be a joke that I never have to be a bad day. You know, it should be, a, it should be said of all of us. Dude, what have I got to lose? I've got eternity. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I've got a lot to be joyful about. If we are abounding, then we should give thanks. Do you agree? Let's thank the Lord together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for your provision for us. Lord, every need, you are faithful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have faith in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Lord, that we would be people who do not fear men or circumstance. But Lord, that we would be content in your provision. Whatever it may be, Lord, a glass of cold water, bird food, flour, and oil. Lord, let our hearts yearn for you. And as we eat and partake of the bread that you gave your life to give us, let our souls be satisfied and let our hearts rejoice for we are saved. We are saved, Lord, and we will see your face again. We will see you. We will know you. We will hear your voice. We will touch the face of God. And so, Lord, let us be a people who rejoice. Let us be obedient to you, Lord. But your, your commands, Lord, they're not burdensome. As we walk according to your will, let us rejoice. For you are good. It is in your name that we come, and it is in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.